This message comes from NPR sponsor, Acorn TV. Acorn TV is brilliant television told brilliantly. From charmingly cozy mysteries to daringly dark dramas. Visit acorn.tv for a 30-day free trial with promo code NPR. Acorn TV. Brilliant. We've seen the memes, we've heard the songs, and at long last, we've seen the movie. After many months of buildup, Barbie is finally here. The film stars Margot Robbie as one of many Barbies and Ryan Gosling as one of many Kens. And does the film live up to all the hype? I'm Linda Holmes. And I'm Stephen Thompson. Today we are talking about Barbie on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Joining us today is our fellow co-host, Aisha Harris. Hey, Aisha. Hi, Barbie Stephen. Hi, Barbie Linda. (laughs) Hi, Barbie Aisha. (laughs) Also with us is film critic and culture journalist, Badatri D. Chaudhry. Hey, Badatri. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. (laughs) Hi, Barbie. (laughs) So the idea for a live-action Barbie movie has been bouncing around for more than a decade now, and the dolls themselves have been part of the pop cultural landscape since the late 1950s. So Barbie, the movie, has been a long time coming. But in many ways, it feels like a film that could only exist in 2023. It's an extremely self-aware vision of Barbie, complete with commentaries on the patriarchy and the unreasonable expectations placed on women in modern society. The film features many Barbies and many Kens, but the central conflict arises when the most stereotypically blonde and perky Barbie, played by Margot Robbie, finds herself facing an existential crisis. She may live in her dream house in Barbie land, but she thinks about death, her heels suddenly touch the ground, she finds the first traces of cellulite, and she even sheds tears. Soon, for various reasons, she heads off in search of her human owner, taking a journey from Barbie land to Los Angeles. She's joined by one of many Kens, played with great enthusiasm by Ryan Gosling. If I wasn't severely injured, I would beat you off right now, Ken. I'll beat you off with you any day, Ken. Hold my ice cream, Ken. When Barbie and Ken arrive in the human world, they find a very different society than the Barbie-centric one they're used to. Barbie soon meets a sullen tween, played by Ariana Greenblatt, as well as her mom, played by America Ferreira. Barbie also encounters a boardroom full of Mattel executives, led by their CEO, played by Will Ferrell. And really, there is no sense in giving away more than that. There are loads of jokes, loads of pink sets, loads of needle drops and original songs, and loads of whatever is going on with Ryan Gosling's hair. Barbie was directed by Greta Gerwig, who also directed Lady Bird and Little Women, and it was written by Gerwig and her partner, Noah Baumbach. Barbie is in theaters now. Badatri D. Chaudhry, I'm going to start with you. What did you think of Barbie? Oof, I think it's a lot. (laughs) I know your first question was, does it live up to the hype? Yes, it does. Did I have a lot of fun? Yes, I did. But it's still like, it doesn't sit very well, but in a very fun way. How do you mean doesn't sit very well? I don't know. And like, I'd love to talk uh, more about this with you guys. Like the first thing I thought when I came out of the theater was, is it camp? And that for me (laughs) as a culture journalist and film critic is the most horrific question. Because if it's camp and you don't get it, that's like the worst thing. You might as well stop writing about films. That's a great point. Yeah. So I kept asking myself, is it camp? And then I was talking to a friend of mine and she said, well, it's camp is a bad defense of a film you don't really like. So yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's camp, if the camp is lost on me, but I do think it's trying to do a lot of things, trying to say a lot of things that I'm not sure if, you know, the people in the film are the right people to say it. 
having said that, I had so much fun. Like I grew up in the 90s. I had these dolls. So they do manage to make the ride a lot of fun. Okay. How about you, Omzi? I had so much fun at this movie. I think they executed it with enormous panache in terms of the production design. I really love the performances. I think Margot Robbie is surprisingly poignant in this movie, Mm -hmm. which you kind of will understand better, I think, once you've seen it. And Ryan Gosling is hilarious in this. I really like Ryan Gosling in dramatic roles, but when I see Ryan Gosling be goofy funny, I always think I just want to watch Ryan Gosling be goofy funny forever. But, you know, like Badatri, I feel conflicted about everything it's trying to say. There is a lot of textual critique of patriarchy and critique of capitalism and critique of Mattel. LOL. (laughs) And it's like, what does it mean to have these textual critiques when all the extra textual stuff, including how the movie was made, how the movie is being marketed, who the movie is going to benefit All of that stuff is all taking place firmly within all of these systems. Because, for example, when you're doing critique of Mattel and its very male leadership, that very male leadership wouldn't have signed off on this movie if they thought it was going to hurt them. So I feel really conflicted between the kind of textual and extra textual stuff that's going on. But at the same time, I loved looking at this movie. I think the performances, like I said, are great. I had a wonderful time and I think it's super funny. So we're clearly kind of keeping this conversation a little bit general. Just so you know, we are going to do a full spoiler episode around Barbie that'll run next week. Aisha Harris, uh, what did you think of Barbie? I mean, there is, of course, that tension between art and commerce that is always going to exist and has really become something that has been laid bare even more explicitly over the last few years as we've seen the franchisification of everything. There are ways and examples of this where it can really, really, really work. See the Lego movie. The difference between this and the Lego movie is that As far as I can remember, Lego did not have as nearly as much baggage (laughs) as Barbie does and Barbie comes with. And so under that tension between art and commerce, you also have this sort of added layer tension between the sharp political critique of the system while functioning explicitly as a product of that system. I really had a lot of fun with this, and I think that it's really interesting to kind of conjure and think about, can we you know, use the master's tools to dismantle the house, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Is that possible? And what I think puts it over the top for me or makes it work even when it doesn't always work for me or work overall Mm. are the performances is the fact that Greta Gerwig for me has been able to take all of these sort of familiar stories in her previous directorial movies and bring something new and interesting to them. Something like Little Women, which is very different kind of product from Barbie, Mm -hmm. but is also a beloved property. She was able to sort of make that fresh and make that new. And I think she's doing something similar here, even if the tension is a little bit more fraught and doesn't quite go down as easily. You know, I said a while ago that that was part of what made me sort of hopeful that Greta Gerwig was making this, that hopeful Mm. that this could be good, actually. And I do think Mm. it's good, actually, with a lot of buts and a lot of caveats. Yeah. And I guess one of my reactions to that is like, what is the alternative? How would you get around the critiques that we've kind of leveled in this conversation so far? Like, you're not going to make a Barbie movie without Mattel's sign-off. You're not going to make a big-budget studio movie without a big-budget studio's sign-off. Like, 
capitalism has its tendrils in every facet of major movie making. I mean, the alternative is other movies. Yes. You know? (laughs) (laughs) I also think alternative is that you don't put in so much money into one film. It's just mind-boggling for me. (laughs) (laughs) I guess it's just interesting. There's a scene in this movie that really stands out. There's a monologue in this film Uh. in which a character kind of lays out the really complex web of pressures on women in society. And and you're expected to do this, but not this. And this, but not this. And you have to push for things, but not push too hard. And it's it's kind of a little bit of a being a woman 101. Yes, very much. It's pretty blunt. Many would argue it's 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 pretty necessary to put it in this film. It's also kind of a meta commentary on what this movie's trying to do, right? This movie is trying to do so, so much and balance these very, very, very contradictory impulses. They want to comment on the patriarchy and society and feminism while still being a big mainstream movie. It's interesting to me that this film at one point kind of stops and almost lays out the enormous task that it has given itself. Yeah, but I think if you are a woman, you are a woman and you don't have the option of deciding, like, I'm just not going to be a woman because the kind of idea of that is too complicated. Whereas you can decide I'm not going to make a Barbie movie. You can Mm -hmm. decide we're not going to have a Barbie movie. And so I think the stakes are a little bit different. But I do think that the film sees it that way. The film is setting up a parallel between what it's like to try to be a woman and what it's like to try to be a Barbie movie. I I kind of agree with you that the film maybe sees that parallel. I'm not sure I see that parallel. One of the things I think is interesting is that this film to me is a really good example of how many different crafts are involved in making a film really vital and wonderful because the production design of this is tremendous. The supporting performances and thus the casting are tremendous. The entire look of the film is really fun and interesting and plays like a very unrealistic, like, for example, there's a moment when Ryan Gosling winds up for various reasons being thrown up into the air. It's not supposed to look real. It's supposed to look like he's a doll being thrown in the air. The way that they've done that, the way that they've incorporated these kind of very unreal animation type of styles you know, music supervision. Oh, boy, get me started. I think it's lovely to have a film come out that works really well for me, that really puts the spotlight on not just the writing and not just the acting, although I think both are really strong, but every kind of element of this film, you can see so many crafts really popping in this movie. And that was something I appreciated a lot. I was not expecting to hear the Indigo Girls pop up in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) That was fun. Perfectly deployed. Look, if, if you've listened to me long enough, if you've known me long enough, you know how I feel about franchises and how, to Linda's point, yes, maybe we just don't make this movie. But at the same time, I can understand why we feel the need to sort of reclaim or attempt to reimagine mm-hmm. these very emblematic figures of the past to put them into this present moment. It is kind of important for maybe those sort of emblematic figures to evolve in certain ways. And yes, it's tricky when that's happening within that company that still stands mm-hmm. to profit. And it's in a way, there are many moments in this film that feel 
really a lot like Mattel burnishing its image and very clearly wanting to reclaim the sort of loss that it's had in the last few years to other companies, whether it's mm-hmm. the Bratz dolls. Mm-hmm. I can see how that tension plays out. But I also think, you know, it does make it interesting as a critic and as a consumer to sort of grapple with these things because I do think maybe there is a positive side to trying to grapple with those things, even when it's still in service of a corporation in some ways. I don't know. It's it's hard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm glad you bring that up, Aisha, because what I was thinking is I'm thinking this film is self-aware. I'm hoping this film is self-aware. But what if it's not? I mean, I would think it is because I it's, think it's very self-aware. It's Greta Gerwig. I mean, yes, she's earned my trust. <laughs> exactly, and and that's literally the only thread I'm hanging on. Like the monologue that you talk off, it's very climactic, but it's also so trite. Like we've all seen forwards or like some kind of inspirational Instagram square with some of those words. (laughs) You can't be this, you can't be that, you can be this, you can't be Mm -hmm. that. But we've all seen some version of that. And again, not going into the spoilers of this, but it kind of gets reduced to being this programmatic algorithm, Uh which I don't know, it just becomes very trite for me. That first time is huge, big. But then it keeps happening over and over and over again. And that's when you're like, okay, so is it just a punchline? Is it just a buzzword sort of a thing? It's so complicated. The best thing about this movie is when it is weird. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of things about this movie that are just like weird and kind of out there. Kate McKinnon is in it, for goodness sake. Come into my weird house. Hi, I'm Weird Barbie. I am in the splits. I have a funky haircut and I smell like basement. Oh my God, I had a weird Barbie. Yeah, you did. Also just this much seen clip of Margot Robbie saying, do you guys ever think about dying? Hmm. There are these moments in the film that are really odd Hmm. and kind of unsettling. And those are the places where I appreciate it the most. And the, the journey of Ryan Gosling's Ken, that character is so freaking weird. And I don't think (laughs) it follows necessarily from the cultural idea of Ken as much as the kind of Margot Robbie Barbie does. Mm -hmm. This Ken feels a little bit to me more like an invention of these filmmakers. Well, that's because Ken, as the movie says, Ken is just like a blank canvas completely. Just Ken. (laughs) He's a totally blank canvas. Exactly. Kind of nobody cares. So (laughs) I want to make clear, I really like this movie. If somebody said, should I go see it? I would be like, yes, "Yes, I think you should go see it. I think it is, like I said, exquisitely crafted. It just raises all these interesting questions, that's all. I also want to ask you all, like, part of the issue we're running up against is that it's not just that it's a Barbie movie, but it's that we're now coming at this, like, six months into, like, one of the most hyped up, like, cross-cultural, cross-franchise. There have been all these brands that have latched onto this, either indirectly or directly, you know, pink products. My local bar studio is offering a Barbie-themed class. Right. So how do we separate the movie itself from mm-hmm. not just the Barbie history, but also right. all of this six months of anticipation? Right. Yeah, I mean, my dog's doggy daycare had an email that went out this week that said, let's go Barky. And I was like, <laughs> OK, geez. 
But I do think there comes a moment where people are kind of so overloaded. It's interesting because I've thought a lot, as I think we all have, about the hype cycles around this movie and how much it has felt like this massive cultural steamroller Hmm. where it's all we're hearing about. But I think one of the reasons it's become that massive steamroller is that there has been this very organic excitement around this film. I I have felt excitement from my friends around this film in ways that I almost never experience excitement from my friends around a movie. And I think that has only led the studio to lean in harder. Like, oh, we've got something Hmm. here. People are really excited about this. But I don't think we should lose sight of the fact that a lot of the enthusiasm around this film is organic. People love Greta Gerwig, man. Lady Bird, Great movie. Little Women, great movie. I'm excited about whatever Greta Gerwig does. So when Greta Gerwig takes on this intellectual property and promises to wrangle with it, that's really exciting to me. I was organically excited about this film. But then as soon as like the marketing agency that put on the screening was like, wear pink to the screening, I was like, no way. (laughs) You can't make me wear pink. (laughs) No, and it's very interesting because I was reading this Twitter discourse about how the Barbie ticket sales haven't been great in India. You know, and the obvious incorrect correlation is, oh, it's just because they're misogynists out there. Mm, but let's not lose sight of the fact that this film is being pitted against Oppenheimer. And Christopher <laughs> Nolan is like his own brand, doesn't need no marketing, you know. And the root of what you're saying, Stephen, is what Barbie means to Americans is so different in different countries. It's so different from what it means to Indians. Like I played with the doll, but it was a class thing. We were importing it from Mm -hmm. the US, so it's expensive. So, you know, a certain class of people, of girls had the doll. And I also think a lot of people in India and other countries think it's a kid's film. Yeah. Mm. And if you're listening, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's definitely not like an R-rated comedy, but it's definitely not a kid's film either, for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It gets dark. It gets very dark. Other than the fact that there are some references to what is underneath the pants of all these dolls, (laughs) there's nothing in here that I think is inappropriate for kids. I just think kids aren't going to care about most of this because what the movie really wants to get into is all this stuff about, you know, feminism and existential crises and, (laughs) you know, the meaning of life and what it means to exist in a world that doesn't care about you. I mean, I think it's just, you know, anybody who's playing with a Barbie right now, I think is going to find this movie boring. Mm. I don't know. I think it will appeal to tweens. Isn't that kind of what Toy Story 1 and 2 are about? I kept coming <laughs> back to those movies because there's yeah. a lot of that in this movie you of make like a good point. rediscovering oh, maybe I'm meant for something more than just this. Yeah. No, you're right. But I guess my other overarching question was just like, is the connection between adults now and their Barbies as strong as this movie thinks it is? I wonder oh, how much of this is coming from people having memories of playing with their dolls versus just like, it's really easy to cosplay this in pink. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. there, there is a moment towards the end where it kind of wants to tug at your heartstrings again in a very Toy Story kind of way. I was just like, maybe it's just me. I play with Barbies, but I don't have that same affinity for it as I think people might have to other franchises or other toys. But maybe I'm completely yeah. misreading this. I think the film sees people as either you played with Barbies, in which case you're kind of a Barbie obsessive, uh-huh. or you didn't play with Barbies. 
I'm like you, Aisha. I had Barbies. I had a Barbie dream house. My sister had the Barbie RV. I had Olympic Barbie. I never had a Ken. Oh, I had a Ken. (laughs) (laughs) And and certainly there are Barbie obsessives. But like, I think you're right that there are a lot of people who are not as attached to their childhood memories of Barbie specifically as maybe the movie expects. Yeah, I mean, I think that the movie doesn't necessarily expect you to be a Barbie obsessive. They expect a lot of people to have gone through an awakening around Barbie and what Barbie means. Maybe they played with Barbie, but they have some sort of complicated relationship with Barbie. I did not play with Barbie at all. I have an older sister. She only had Barbies so she could dye their hair and and put safety pins through their noses. Which is a phenomenon that the movie does address. Which is a phenomenon that the movie does acknowledge. So that's sort of my relationship to it. And I was still really excited about this film, even though I don't come into it with a big background of loving or caring about these dolls. As far as whether kids will enjoy it, I think it's worth remembering, like, all the things that we've said about how brightly rendered this film is, how fun the performances are. The musical numbers. The choreography. The musical numbers, the choreography. All right, I take it back. I take it back. Take your child. (laughs) Sorry. I don't care. (laughs) That energy pervades it in a way where even if you're not necessarily (laughs) ready for all its messaging around the patriarchy, there's still a lot of fun to be had here. There's a lot of fun to be had, fun at the cost of what, you know? It is a cycle, and I think I'm happy this uh, film brings that out, at least. agree. Well, we have more to say about Barbie. So we're going to have a whole nother episode that'll run next week where we dig a little bit deeper. I also still want to talk about some of the songs. And even some of the songs are spoilers. So we're going to do a separate spoiler episode of Barbie. And Alan. And Alan. And Alan. Yes, we have to talk Alan. <laughs> Michael Sarah's character. <laughs> so, so just what you needed in your life more Barbie-adjacent content. Uh, we want to know what you think about Barbie. In the meantime, find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH. Up next, what is making us happy this week? Support for NPR and the following message come from our sponsor, Whole Foods Market. Planning a party or honoring a recent grad? Whatever the celebration, Whole Foods Market can make things easy, starting with some delicious marinated steaks, always antibiotic and hormone-free. Simple and easy eats are ready in the prepared foods department. And for dessert, how about a luscious berry chantilly cake? Not in the mood to cook? Their catering menu offers festive options ready to order online at shop.wfm.com. Start every celebration at Whole Foods Market. This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast, With Progressive, it is. Just visit their website to get a quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, and their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. Then, just choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. We all hear things differently, and that can be tough when there's so much noise. This election year, we're a space to speak up and to listen. Listen to 1A for the latest on election 2024, only from NPR. Now it's time for our favorite segment of This Week and Every Week. What is making us happy this week? Badatri D. Chaudhry, what is making you happy this week? I'm a walking, talking cliche. I can't help it. But what made me really happy in anticipation of this film this week 
was the 1997 album called Aquarium by the Danish band Aqua. <laughs> Aqua. <laughs> which, fun fact, was the first cassette I bought. With, wow. I think it was 125 rupees, which was a fortune back then. And my dad was like, you could buy four Hindi film cassettes with that money. <laughs> but yes, uh, the album with the classic, Come On Barbie, Let's Go Party. Shout out to Linda's Dogs Doggy Daycare for getting that <laughs> I re-listened to that album and I'd say there are quite a few bangers out there beyond that song. I would agree. <laughs> Yeah. That, that album's kind of sick. <laughs> yes. I mean, a lot of people would have the follow-up question of what else is on the album besides Barbie Girl? Dr. Jones? Excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I would say Dr. Jones is my song on that album. Thank you, Vidatri. Uh, Aisha Harris, what is making you happy this week? Well, I'm going to take it in a completely opposite direction. <laughs> Earth Mama is a small, quiet indie film directed by Savannah Leaf. It's her debut feature, and she is a former Olympian turned filmmaker. And she shot and set this in the Bay. It stars Tiana Moore as Gia, who's this young, single, pregnant woman trying to regain custody of her two children while making this very tough decision about what her next moves in life are going to be. Tia is this local Bay Area artist. This is her first acting role. She is fantastic in this part. There are moments where the camera is sort of trained on her face and letting her face do all the emoting. She's not speaking. She's not doing anything. She's one of those actors who really kind of reels you in with just the intensity of her face. I also want to shout out that this movie also features the great, great Erica Alexander, a.k.a. Living Singles' Maxine Shaw. She's playing mm. a sort of social worker who's trying to help Gia. And then Dochi, the rapper, the great rapper, plays a small role as one of Gia's friends. It's just really beautiful and a really thoughtful meditation on motherhood and the way that the government and local systems will sort of uh, prey upon and in many ways make life harder for especially single Black women. And I really just think it's one of those movies that people should definitely seek out. It's playing in theaters. And if you can find it in your local theater, definitely check it out. So that's Earth Mama, directed by Savannah Leaf. Thank you, Aisha Harris. Linda Holmes, what's making you happy this week, buddy? Well, what is making me happy this week is our friend and former NPR host, Sam Sanders, who is now in a new job. His show, Intuit, for Vulture, which you may know, but also his show, Vibe Check, with his friends, Saeed Jones and Zach Stafford. And they had an episode recently talking about grief following the death of Sam's mother. And Sam talked about his mom. He talked about that experience. But what I want to highlight is not just how beautiful that episode is, but that they have found a way to have it be very intimate among the three of them, but also very intensely emotionally relevant to lots and lots of people, even though it's also deeply personal to them. And I've just been so pleased. I loved Sam's work at NPR. I loved Sam's work on It's Been a Minute. But I really have also loved seeing Sam kind of blossom in this beautiful direction and make this really beautiful show. If you think about 
grief, if you are dealing with grief, if you are worried about dealing with grief and how to think about it, I really, really recommend this episode and the show in general. So that is what is making me happy this week is the lovely show Vibe Check and and what a great job they're doing with some very difficult topics. Thank you, Linda Holmes. So what is making me happy this week is my favorite album of this summer so far. It's by an artist named Amber Bain, who records under the name The Japanese House. And she plays this kind of moody, electropop music, kind of in the vein of like the softer side of the band Muna. If you're really into Muna, if you've been rocking Muna this summer, spend some time with her new album. It's called In the End It Always Does. And it's got this mix of kind of soft electropop bangers and then these gauzy, beautiful ballads that are just gorgeous. I think this record gets better and better as it goes along. I've just been listening to it over and over again and couldn't recommend it more. Let's actually hear a little bit of one of the singles, just because it'll give you a sense of how catchy this record can be. Let's hear a little bit of this on Boyhood. So that's The Japanese House. Her new album is called In the End It Always Does. And that is what is making me happy this week. If you want links for what we recommended, plus more recommendations, sign up for our newsletter at npr.org slash newsletter. That brings us to the end of our show. Linda Holmes, Aisha Harris, Badatri D. Chaudhry, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. This episode was produced by Mike Katzif and Anna Isaacs and edited by Jessica Reedy. Hello Come In provides our theme music. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Stephen Thompson, and we will see you all next week. This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. With the Spark Cash Plus card, you earn unlimited 2% cash back on every purchase for your business. Find out more at CapitalOne.com slash Spark Cash Plus. Terms and conditions apply. Feel like the world is on fire? Shortwave is your antidote. We find joy and beauty in the science of the planet we live on. How people are taking action in the face of climate change. The many weird and wonderful ways animals have adapted to a changing world in the past and present. And how technology is pushing us forward. Listen now to the Shortwave podcast from NPR.